They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. We're coming to you after a slight delay. Yes, I, I think we might uh skipped a week. Uh, I will, we'll just call that our leave week. Yeah, consider that the paid leave week. Thanks, yeah. guys. Uh, maybe I'll do a solo one to, to keep the numbers uh, symmetric to the weeks. But yeah, we... Uh, well, we'll catch you up on the content. Uh, uh, but, you know, some things came up with the with the baby. Yeah, it's hard with a newborn and a three-year-old and you know finding time this is tough it's Uh, tough where does the time go but here we are now so it's all good we're with you today we're going to uh have some news uh, some hot topics in the a block and then we will go on uh to five myths our summer series in the b block all right yes this is our second five myths episode yeah we will be covering five myths about christians in politics Mm -hmm. and that's related to one of the uh Hot topics, right? Because uh, that's true. You had a piece on Wednesday. I did about evangelicals and Trump. Yeah. So if you uh, rewind a little bit uh, back in April around Easter, you and I went down to Dallas, where we're from. Mm-hmm. DFW Metroplex is mm-hmm. where we're from, and uh, we interviewed. I interviewed, but you were there. I almost, was there looking. Yeah, every blink- interview blinking. Uh, interviewed uh, lots of evangelicals who support Trump and some who don't. That's and, true, yeah. And the goal uh, was to figure out if after a couple of years of intense recrimination for their support of Trump, evangelicals had changed in their feelings about Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, there are a couple of ways they could have changed. They could have taken all the criticism uh, to heart and considered it and looked at all the scandals in the Trump administration and decided to turn away from Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they could have taken all the criticism of Trump to be evidence of an unfair, biased media uh, attacking him out of malice and uh, negatively polarized, if you will, even further in support of Trump. Mm-hmm. So uh, they could have increased or decreased their support. I wasn't sure which one it might be, but it turned out uh, to be strongly the latter. Evangelicals are even more supportive of Trump than they were going into 16 when some prominent evangelicals uh, were notably against Trump. There Mm -hmm. were uh, prominent evangelicals like Rusty Reno. Rusty Reno. I mean, there were several. I don't know if he's one that was against. I I think he's pretty Trumpy, but there there were several, and he's also Catholic. Um, Yeah, but I love the name. It's a great name. Uh, But there were there were a lot of evangelicals like Russell Moore uh, who who were you know, prominently in favor of, of Egg McMuffin. That's right, yes. And uh, now we met a guy like that. Yeah, and, and, and they were against Trump. Uh, so I, I wondered if, you know, there were more of these never-Trump evangelicals now or less, and there are definitely 
fewer of them than there were. So what what has the reaction been to this piece? Good reaction, bad reaction? Good, I think. I mean, you know, it's uh, it didn't really uh, land, I guess, with, uh, you know, well, let me put it this way. When I think about people who read the stuff that I write, they're kind of split into different streams. So some of them are interested in left politics. Some of them are interested in Christianity. So the people who are interested in left politics, this just sort of doesn't intersect with their interests very much, I think. So mm-hmm. it didn't really seem to hit with that crowd. But for the people who are interested in Christianity, I think, you know, it was it was it was a hit. I mean, it, it was the, popular, got a lot of clicks. In, yeah. In the sense of it did get a couple of clicks and people seemed to read it. And I got a lot of feedback in my inbox. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that I was happiest about was that the people who are uh, in the piece, the people who we interviewed on the right and the left felt like they were represented fairly and accurately. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big victory for me that people don't feel caricatured. They feel like. They were represented honestly. That's good journalism, mm-hmm. and uh, and I that was the feedback I got from the folks that I interviewed. Uh, so you know, I was pleased with that. Well, I, so yeah. what were some of the interesting threads here? I feel like we're a little bit too, uh, you know, thirty thousand feet on this. Uh, okay. You know, I mean, what what are some what were some interesting uh, that was. Uh, uh, the, the 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 sort of uh, the sort of doing the Rod Dreher uh, Benedict <laughs> option uh, type of thing. Yeah, actually, uh, Rod wrote about the piece today. Oh and, boy, what did he say? Well, he he basically said that he said they all need to read the Benedict option and and get ready because you know. Well, what, they don't need to read it; they're doing it. They didn't. They don't need this yeah. wise book to. <laughs> seem to uh, I, I, but I think that what emerged in in a lot of the interviews that was surprising to me was that. You know, in the era where we were kind of coming of age in Texas with evangelicals prominent in politics, their goal was always to kind of retake or take the country for Jesus. Mm-hmm, yes, right? so, in the 2000s. Right, under like Bush. Sure. That that was the goal of those evangelicals. It was about a spiritual renewal, a great awakening, you know, claiming this country for Jesus and in and that meant creating laws that advance the common good hmm. in their point of view. So banning abortion, uh, getting a constitutional amendment regarding marriage. Yeah, the gay marriage stuff was the big stuff. That was the big stuff at the time and so on and so forth. And that would make the country a more godly and perfect place to live right mm-hmm, yeah so i remember the the documentary jesus camp right and that and in, in fact in jesus camp one of the youth pastors says you know why can't we train our kids as well as muslim militants mm-hmm. you know why can't we be as militant about you know creating you know essentially a theocracy and there were several books that came out in the aughts uh, i believe damon linker had a book uh, about the theocrats, the, theocrats, the theocons. Yeah, yeah, that, was, that was a big thing. Uh, and, and and it was really a concern of the, and, and this kind of created the new atheist movement. Mm, this true. Cons- this concern that uh, evangelicals, right-wing Christians would overtake politics and enforce a, a, an almost theocratic form of American democracy. That was the kind of evangelicalism that we were familiar with. Mm-hmm. And what I was surprised by in my conversations was that is almost completely dead. Mm-hmm. The evangelical leaders that I spoke to talked about accommodations. They talked about enclaves. They talked about protections from the dominant culture. Yeah, the idea that they're going to win a majoritarian anything is is dead. It reminded me of the debate, the, uh, what was it, the David French and... 
So Rob. Yeah, Amari. Yeah, yeah they're the integralists. That's what's going on on the Catholic side of things. Sure, sure, sure. But e- even aside from, you know, um, what I was thought was so sort of weird about the debate was So Rob was like, we've been trying this like liberal approach to, you know, Christian governance, if you will, for a long time. And, right. and then we've, and it hasn't been working and look at us now, there are drag queens in the libraries and sure. that sort of shtick. And, you know, at the time I, 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 I thought this guy seems to have completely missed the boat there <laughs> when, you know, evangelicals at least had the numbers, they were not practicing <laughs> yes. liberal governance of oh well we just want to protect the ability to teach what we teach in our church and you can teach what you want to teach in yours and the schools and no it was like we got the numbers we're going to do what we want to do it wasn't just the gay marriage stuff there was remember in texas there was all this stuff about teaching evolution in the schools and in fact in our high school biology textbooks there was no reference made to human evolution Mm-hmm. As a result of all that, there was abstinence, school prayer. Yeah. Yes, yes. Abstinence only education, school prayer. Like the schools were a big, big part of it. And then the gay marriage and so on. And it was, you know, and, and he, he has sort of like, I don't know, just sort of missed that part of history in his brain and like doesn't yeah. realize. I always thought, well, the reason why there is now all of a sudden yeah. a small L liberal christian evangelical thing is because they have given up on the idea that they can be majoritarian and at that point that's really all you have is to say look i can't win the thing so i i need you to respect freedom of conscience and freedom of religion and so on right and And then of course you can come back and be like well you that's where were you 10 years ago on that? Right. And, and like, you know. And so, so the major battles that you see now with regard to religious conservatives and in a lot of cases, specifically evangelicals, are like Hobby Lobby over birth control and Obamacare. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, masterpiece cake shop, bake it's the, shop. Yeah, it's the gay accommodations in all sorts right. of areas. It's, it's the can we live in a space that's totally protected from the dominant culture where we can kind of self-govern according to our religious rules and, and not be bothered or assailed by, uh, you know, people who are more liberal or are irreligious. That's now the goal. It's yeah. no longer about retaking the country or even evangelizing right now it's just about sort of sorting out this place where we can be protected and be an enclave in a broader culture that is hostile yeah it's it's switched from uh we're going to get the numbers and ban gay marriage which they did state after state after state to uh we just want it so that we can be anti-gay marriage ourselves in our groups and that you don't like come at us for yeah, it force us to participate um, in some way then, like you know, kim daniels right yeah well well but she she was a public employee so it's a little bit more right but that's just where these battles are playing out yeah. is like can i step aside and and have you know my protections for conscience basically yeah that yeah, is yeah. that is how the fight is being fought now which i mean in in some sense is just like a cynical tactic switch it could be cynical or it could be like i think uh the 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 Baptist uh, preacher Bart, yeah, Barber, Bart Barber. Wait, was his first name Bart? 
Yeah. Bart Barber. It's a great name. It's a great name. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it can, it can, it, people, you know, when the, when circumstances change, they see things a little differently. Right. Not he, necessarily. He did comment on that, that, that tension. He said, you know, I had never thought about what it would be like to be a minority before. Right. But now, so, you know, and now I think, you know, they feel, evangelicals feel that they are a minority in a dominant culture. And so that, that changes things. Um, and, and so I thought that was a pretty a profound shift. Uh, mm-hmm. to document and and worth noting uh and and then the other one uh that i found interesting is they're very eager all, all of them were to to talk shit about prior republican presidents who were friendly to evangelicals well yeah well th- this is the thing it's that when you know uh, <laughs> with the republicans is they haven't really delivered certainly yeah. on the national level some states have done some things, but like they really haven't delivered for religious groups. Now, right. maybe with the Supreme Court, I guess we'll see. Like, but you know, I mean, they've been for 30 years or so toying with the evangelicals. You're in our coalition, this big role. We'll say certain things about this or that family structure and so on. And then it's like nothing really happened, right? right. The, the economic part of the party certainly got its wishes. You know, Bush managed to cut taxes. Trump managed to cut taxes. You know, Reagan cut taxes. You know, they, them, they come yeah. in and they cut taxes on the rich every time. And then but the, the evangelicals are like, what about what we wanted? The overall culture has drifted more and more liberal more and more liberal around all sorts of things um and so yeah it's like you know for them it's like what the hell is this like (laughs) and and this was in my conversation with robert jeffress something he pointed out he's like you know bush got in there and we didn't get supreme court picks we wanted uh and he said he would move the embassy in israel to jerusalem which was something apparently Reagan had also talked about, but neither of them did that. That's always a uh, weird well, one. Well, you know, evangelicals are very invested in Israel for mm-hmm. basically eschatological reasons, but, um, you know, that didn't happen. And, you know, there was going to be a constitutional amendment to, you know, protect uh, heterosexual marriage or however they put that, mm-hmm. um, but that didn't happen either. And so there were all these things that, you know, were kind of wished and hoped for under Bush and and none of them came to pass. And then when he left office, Obama came in, which was a huge uh, trauma uh, to these folks. They felt like Obama was very hostile to them. You know, he had the bitter clinging gun God thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, all, all the while, these are people who are ingesting Fox and whatnot. And their understanding of how hostile Obama actually was was probably amped up even beyond uh, what was the reality. Uh, But, you know, they felt like they had been screwed, that they had gotten kind of marooned and abandoned by these people who had come to office on their votes. And and Trump was a figure in the Republican primary who was willing to point out the kind of ridiculousness of the GOP in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did that repeatedly, right? I've donated to everyone on this stage. You all take my money. You all do what I tell you to do as a businessman. Mm-hmm. And I think that really resonated with evangelicals. They were like, at least this guy's telling the truth. Yeah. Well, and remember, they're getting screwed by the business wing of the party over and exactly. over again. And so he's like, you know, I know how this all works because I run the show and I'm the only one who has it in me to be honest with you because I've got my own money and I don't need to take it from anyone else. So I won't listen to the business wing of the party. I'll do what I want to do. 
and evangelicals watched as the the mainstream Republican Party pushed back against Trump to no avail. He just won and won and won. And and then that was it. It was all over. He he was the nominee. And, and I think that there was something really thrilling about that for them due to their frustrations with the Republican establishment. Sure. Yes. So those were the kind of things that emerged in the piece. You guys can give it a read if you want. Yeah, it's called In God's Country. In God's Country. It, one of the rare cases where the thing that I titled the piece is what it ended up being titled. Mm-hmm. Because, on the WashingtonPost.com. Right. I always give fancy titles to my pieces and usually they just wind up with headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Well, but this is an epic. This is an epic article. Well, it's long. That's for sure. Yeah. That's what an uh, epic is. And so, well, I mean, you know, okay. Well, we'll leave that there. There you go. Uh, Matt, has a new, Matt has a new TV show. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you. You're welcome. You know, friends of the podcast will remember our coverage of Undercover Boss, which, uh, interestingly, there's now a YouTube video of, if you want to... Yeah, thank you for that, to the to the listener who, search, who made the tube. Search YouTube for The Brunig's Undercover Boss. Someone took our podcast episode and uh, synced it with the with clips from Undercover Boss. Um, so, you know, you can watch that. This, uh, you know, I looked at Undercover Billionaire. All right, I'm already interested because I'm a fan of the Undercover series, the Undercover genre, Candid Camera, uh, The Impractical Joke. No, no, I'm not. Those are terrible shows. But, you know, I, thought, I was like, okay, this is, uh, you know, what is the Undercover doing? Um, and, you know, so I looked into it in this show on, on Discovery, Undercover Billionaire. There's this guy who is... Uh, a billionaire. Let me see if I can find his uh, name. I, I should have uh, uh, should have done the research on this before we uh, before we begin. Oh, it's a gentleman named Glenn Stearns. Glenn Stearns, who ran a mortgage company, um, and and they love to tell his story about uh, he had a kid when uh, he was sixteen years old, and then he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Actually, one of the first links for him is the Horatio Alger Association. Uh, so, really oh, no. dead on. Um, anyways, he started this uh, uh, mortgage company called Stearns Lending LLC uh, and became a multi-billionaire. Uh, amusingly, which they leave out of the show, is that, that Stearns Lending LLC has uh, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Oh, no. So, <laughs> reminds me of another uh, fellow whose name escapes me, who was a big Democratic donor, who was also in the mortgage game, and uh, and his uh, company went bankrupt. But it doesn't matter if your company gets bankrupt, because as long as you cash out before it gets bankrupt, then you still get to be a billionaire, and you get to talk about how you're a business genius. Um, Great. yeah. It's the same thing with any of these companies, you know, that are going public right now, that just yeah. lose money hand over fist. I mean, as long as you cash out, before it you know collapses dude that's gotta know when to walk away from the table you still won the game you're still genius so congrats anyways the premise of this show is is quite insulting and that's why i like it because i like shows are just like wow i can't believe anyone's even doing this yeah is he's gonna go to erie pennsylvania which is a rust belt you know depressed sort of area and he's going to uh he has some sort of a pseudonym that he operates under they give him a truck, they give him a cell phone, and $100, mm-hmm. and then he's supposed to make a million-dollar business in 90 days. Yeah. Like, that's all he's allowed to start with, and he only has 90 days to do it. 
because he's such a business genius. He's such a business genius. And it's a little f- goofy in because if you read between the lines of the credits of the show of like yeah. the little title sequence, what they seem to be implying is all he has to do is produce a business that has a valuation of a million dollars, which means if you can produce a business that is producing, you know, 200 grand a year of revenue, let's yeah. say, which is only, you know, I don't know, 15, what, what is 200 grand divided by 12? You know, it's like, you know, 15 grand a yeah. month, something, 16 grand a month, something like that. If you can produce a business that's turning over that much and then you could go get some kind of uh, bank to uh, value the company, they would say, oh, you're doing 200 grand each year revenue wise. You're growing. Let's give it a five times multiple and call it a million dollars. Now you have a million dollar business. And it also seems like he doesn't have to he doesn't have to own the whole business. Okay. So there's a lot of tricks already kind of hiding that haven't been exposed yet, but I feel like once we get to the end of the game, what's going to happen is he'll have a business who has an annual turnover, like revenue of 200 grand that he owns maybe like 10% of because he's had to bring in all these investors and so on. And then he'll be like, boom, I made a million dollar business. I was like, that's, I don't know. That seems not quite what we're getting at here. Um, But we'll see where it heads. Yeah. Um, And anyways, the funny thing is like, uh, you know, all these rubes in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. That's really the the rough part. These poor folks over here. I'm going to go in and show them what's what. And I'm going to, you know, any one of them could make a million dollar business if they were just as smart and badass as I am. If they were only... There's only been two episodes so far, so I would recommend, you know, following along. I'll keep the readers, uh, the listeners updated. But in episode one, you know, he goes in, he sleeps in his car, he buys some ramen. Um, He spends $50 on one night at a motel, and then he's sort of out of money at that point. He can't really do, do that anymore. He spends a lot of episode one and two on this search he has. He, he thinks that he's going to be able to scrounge up like three thousand dollars worth of material scrap shit in a week just like roaming around like i'm gonna find discarded tires and discarded metal and shit like that which is sort of goofy is like if if anyone's ever been in or knows anything about these depressed areas like scrounging for scrap material is sort of a thing that is pretty prominent but you know like this stuff's probably been picked clean like even the internals of buildings and stuff have probably been picked clean for copper wiring and all the rest of it um but he spends a lot of episode one doing that he doesn't find anything he works he cleans someone's house for like 80 bucks and then he does he works at someone's t-shirt shop and makes like i don't know 40 bucks or something and then at the end of episode one he puts all of his money in saint patrick's day swag and sells it at a saint patrick's day yeah and so like at the end of episode one he's up to four hundred dollars so he's taking 100 turned it into 400 yeah in one week so yeah that's four four hundred percent return man he's he's on his way um and then in episode two and this is where i'm gonna call a little bit bullshit he actually does find yeah that was big time shenanigans these tractor tires call someone on the phone who just drives to where where he is and then pays him so like his big way to get startup capital is just like find valuable shit and then sell it yeah um and they they just happen to be laying around oh look at all these tires oh yeah Yeah. and he makes like uh 1600 on these tires that he just found like two minutes ago um it's a little goofy but 
then from there, he takes that money. He has this scheme where he says, oh, well, uh, uh, these uh, lots that take trade-in cars, when the cars have very high mileage, they can't really sell them on the lot, so they instead go sell them at auction. And so if I could go in and buy them before they go send them to auction, I can get them for cheap or whatever. That fails. But he does find a lot that's closing down and is having kind of like a clearance on their cars, like a used car lot. Yeah. And he buys a Toyota Camry, I think. Uh, Or was it a Civic? Oh, it was a Civic. It was a yeah. Honda Civic. And then he, he, he sort of flips that for, you know, he makes like a thousand dollar margin on that, like buys it and then sells it. And then, and then at some point he's also at the end of the episode gone and bought an Escalade from the same guy. And he's going to yeah. try to flip that and make like a $5,000 margin on it. He wants to it. get into flipping real estate, but he's got to start with cars. Yes. Right. So he's in the process of flipping cars <laughs> that he buys off. So he starts by finding tires yeah like tractor tires and selling them then he takes that and and the plan is to flip two cars from this car thing that's going out of business and then to flip a house yeah and then the long run game is to then take the money from the flipped house it seems like and create a brewery yeah to capitalize they a brewery their craft beers in it. that area he said yes he's he he went to the local like small business administration and they're like uh all we have here is really beer so yeah. people love that burra and uh so he's like Ooh. all right i guess i gotta go make some burra mm-hmm. and it, the episode ends with he's like he's calling up this lawyer and the lawyer's like no nah, dude you can't just open like a brewery in like a week it's like licenses and shit like it's alcohol like it's, it's a big big thing and he's like ah fuck well, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll get um, there. Yeah. I'm a businessman. I'll figure it out. Um, but it's a good. It's a good. You know, he's man. He's already on his way. He's re, he's already owning the the people of Erie, who can't even don't have even the gumption to get as far as he did. You know, so I can't wait to see how far he does. He does go. It's really insulting, honestly. I mean, there's something really nasty about the whole thing. I, if you look at uh, you know, from a particular read. Uh, part of the role of the show is to humanize this guy as a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, I think we can take it as a good sign that billionaires feel like they have to do PR. Yeah, though he's also sort of like, I'm challenging myself. I feel like yeah. I've gotten soft. It's very much in the like... Uh, That's true. Human perfectibility, like almost Galt sort of strand, like... I know how to make a billion, but I'm gonna prove to you I could do it again. I'm still I'm, I'm keeping on my toes, even though I'm 55 years old. Yeah. Like it's it, it's still like that aspect of it. it, it oh, he's also like giving his like weird business tips, which is like so like they cut away to him sitting in this like empty warehouse occasionally, in which he like gives you these bullet points that you would read in a business book. Yeah, like those like business those like shitty business books you see people reading on planes. Yeah, and he's like number one. Find your buyer first, like that. Yeah, all right, like thanks, that. brother. Um, you know, do you think he's gonna do it? Well, I don't know. I mean, again, if the actual rules, as kind of hinted a little bit in the in the in the title sequences, is that he just needs to make a business that will be evaluated yeah. as a million dollars, and it seems to me that he could get to a position because he's now he started to bring in people for his brewery business um that he's not paying yeah um just like locals who he says i'm gonna get sweat equity so it sounds like he's brought in a few locals 
who are going to help him set up this business and they're going to get a percent of the business. So could he wind up after 90 months having a business that has a run rate of 200 grand that he owns a small fraction of, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe like a run rate of two uh, tw- of 200 grand is only 4,000 a week. So if he in his last week on the show is like, our, we sold $4,000 worth of beer this week, therefore our run rate's 200 grand annually, you know, and then do a five times multiple of revenue and we're growing, ugh, you know. Yeah. It's like, that's not what normal people have in mind, you owning 10% of a business that makes 4,000 a week. Like, that's not really. But I think that's where it's going to wind up if he does pull it off, so... That'd be bullshit, but yeah, I can see it going there. Uh, do you hate him? Uh, it's weird because he's got this like voice, like he's been punched in the throat. He does have an extremely annoying voice. It reminds me of a teacher we used to have. Do you do you know? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little bit like that. Uh, so that makes him a little pathetic, and he does seem to be sleeping in the car. At least he did until he got this. Uh, uh, apartment that he now sleeps yeah, he the floor threw up of. a lot and then went to the er oh yeah that was the other thing he went to the er because he started throwing up in the car and in, in the truck that he was sleeping in and they just said co-payment 250 like they're they're constantly tracking how much money he has yeah. in the account so every time he spends something you see his money his account go down yeah. and every time he makes money you see it go up so they like, went to the hospital and they're like you're you're fine dude i don't know what your deal is you just threw up a little bit and he was like <laughs> okay and then he had to pay 250 dollars for that but it's a little unclear how does this what did he have insurance right because they, they just said he had a hundred dollars a car so and he a must phone. have insurance if he has a copay right right copayment would suggest that someone else has covered the rest otherwise it's not copay it's right. full full self-pay it's just paying, yeah. um so he must have insurance but that's kind of cheating yeah. Unless I guess they're like, well, look, if he was really this poor, he would have Medicaid. And so we're sort of trying to simulate that. Um, I don't know. Whatever. But if he challenge was that poor and on Medicaid, though. he wouldn't have to pay a copayment. Yeah, so. but if, he's, if he's going around being like, I want to challenge myself, I feel like you got to. Yeah, and also that's weak shit, dude. All you did was throw up. You don't go to the hospital because you threw up. He that's some billionaire really, shit. He was throwing up a lot. No, I, he wasn't. He I, just said that one day. This is some, some weak billionaire shit. He wouldn't have done that when he was 20. I would probably go to the doctor if I was that sick, but Matt wouldn't. Just for throwing up now. They'll just say, wait, see if it gets worse. That's all they tell you. Speaking of uh, conditions that worsen, uh, what's your read on the Epstein news? Oh, well, you know, uh, I I said from the beginning, if the hyoid bone is broken. (laughs) That was your take at the very beginning. And it was. My God, it was. What do you... uh, what do you think? Do you have, can you even tell what your non-ironic take on this is? Or is it impossible to separate? I don't know. We'll see what comes of it. I mean, you know, obviously it's very suspicious. I would lean towards saying he was murdered. Yeah, absolutely. Until I, you know, until I see something else. The only publication out here running with the facts is the New York Post. New York Post and the Washington Post had the, I mean, the we piece about the hyoid bone. The thing is, what's weird about it is like, there's no proof that it was suicide either. Like, this is the weird thing. It's like, it, who is conspiring and what? What's, what is the conspiracy theory at this point? Because all that was reported is initially was, uh, officials say it was an apparent suicide. Well, an yeah. apparent su- That's not a thing. That's not evidence of some yeah. dudes, you know. That's just uh, one guy accusing him of killing himself. Yeah, well, eyeballing it. 
how's that you know maybe it was someone else who killed him like why do you you know what i mean like why is that and anything that's deviant from that when that hasn't been established yet yeah it hasn't been established in autopsy it has it's just like someone and who who said apparent suicide you know what i mean like I, i find it weird like what counts as like Yep, this is the default accepted story the in the deviations. Story. Yeah, yeah. when th- that's not really an official story until there's an autopsy and all the rest of it, you know. So I feel like we're all extras in the world's longest running SVU episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're the general public, and somewhere uh, in New York, uh, Stabler and Benson are on it. I mean, this is the thing that is obviously so suspicious about it. Most famous inmate in the country, et cetera, et cetera. But like. I don't know anything about running a prison, but if you put me in charge of this prison, I can guarantee you that I can make sure that he doesn't kill himself. Yeah. Like I could do that. I could do that. With no experience whatsoever, I could do that. You I would get a guy and I'd be like, look, let's get the camera on him. You just, we just, let's just watch him and so on. You know, it, I could do it. So why couldn't they do it? You know, like it wasn't some random, oh, well, you know, we don't know this guy. Mm-hmm. He'd already yeah, tried to commit suicide. He's the most famous and you can't pull this off. You can't manage to make sure the guy didn't kill himself. I could do that. We're so, just asking questions here, folks. We'll see. We'll see what comes of just it. Just asking questions. And it could just be a situation where, you know, like at the end of the day, they just, it's like, they just do this right in front of us. You know? And like, yeah, what are you going to do? Peon? Peasant? Little piggy. You little bitch? Yeah, go watch your TV, you little bitch. What are you going to do? You know what we did. Consume your Popeye's chicken sandwich and fuck off. Go on. Yeah. And be like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I can't do anything. I'll I'll do some some memes, I guess. International billionaires want to take a hit out. Only thing I can do is meme about it. Do some memes. That's all the power we have, folks. So at this time. Maybe that's where it's one of those things where they're like, you know, we don't even care. Yeah. We don't even care if you we you know, we checked off the boxes, we filled out the forms, and I don't really give a shit if you know it was, you know. Maybe they fucked it up intentionally just to rub it in our faces. Like, yeah, this is a suicide. (laughs) <laughs> dumbasses <laughs> and we just have to eat it up okay all right guess i have to write a take about how suicides are endemic in prisons mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah no, <laughs> that, that was the woke critique of yeah. the criticisms are like are you saying that it would be weird if someone killed themselves in prison let me tell you as someone who has read michelle alexander's the new jim crow you know and you're like oh, suicides okay are endemic. all yeah. prisons are understaffed yeah, yeah, yeah. no uh, very rich men often yeah. go to prison and kill themselves that's very common in After american having, society uh, killed the tried to kill themselves previously mm-hmm. been put on suicide watch then been taken off of it mm-hmm. and had their cellmate removed for no apparent reason the cellmate was gone when it happened the as for i read a report saying the camera malfunctioned of i mean course. it's a joke you know of course and you know are you saying that prison cameras are well maintained let me tell you i took a course in electrical engineering at the local community college and the wires they sometimes they don't work and you know so you know that's you know nothing to see here so five myths Okay, we're in the five myths. About Christians You know, people did, did comment positively on the five myths. People like the five myths, I'm telling you. It's a good structure. You. It's a good structure. It'll be a fun summer series. We might do some other series at another time. The summer's almost over, though. Summer's so. almost over. It's going to go into September. Uh, I think September 23rd might be the first day of fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certainly counting the days. Uh, but here we go. 
So, you know, some of these are related to the story. So the thematic. Mm, this is a Christian myth. Yeah, Christians in politics, yeah. Oh, in politics. Christians in politics. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you some about, you know, like, what about, you know, was it really a slingshot? No, I'm not taking Can questions. you really kill a giant with a slingshot? No. I mean, absolutely. You can kill anybody with a slingshot. Mm, his skull's going to be real thick. These were, these were, you know, cavalry weapons at the time. These were used by how lots giant of was he? Armies. You know? I mean, I'm sure he wasn't like 15 feet tall. He was probably just like a big guy. Oh, he's just like uh, he's just like the Big Show. Yeah, or, he's just uh, like they're heavy. Oh, okay. Right. And this is yeah. a period where having champions from each side fight it out and decide the victory based on that one fight, rather than having a bloody battle, was fairly common. Yeah, so. I guess in this, he was probably six foot man. But back in the day, you just know, just a big guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think you. you I know. always thought he was like a Paul Bunyan figure, like like twenty feet tall. Yeah, <laughs> and just like <laughs> would just like pick up trees and use them as toothpicks or whatever. Okay, I don't think that anything like, in the text implies that. I just have seen some pictures, seen some pictures, depictions of it. Well, so. that that might be making a little bit much. That's when I think of giant as more of a supernatural figure than just like big guy. No, I think he was just like a large man. Or maybe it's a it's a translation issue. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly words in the Hebrew text for giants that are supposed to be. I mean, this we're really off track, but Nephilim, for instance, half creatures that are descended from fallen angels and humans, the offspring of angels and humans, mm-hmm. are are spoken of as legendary giants, and this is not applied to Goliath. So he's not like a supernatural. He's not legendary giant. He's that's just more of an issue of large man of public recognition. Well, I mean, you I, know, did was he in the papers? I don't think and that stuff? you have. I don't think anything in the text suggests that he was supernaturally large. Okay. Well, you know, you learned something. That's the point of this series: the five myths. That's not a myth. We're not a dealing. myth. Goliath was a Paul Bunyan like no. giant. In fact, he was just like a pro wrestler type. He was at that size. I, this is completely off track. Okay. Uh, these are myths about Christians and politics, not about the text of the Bible. Uh, so the first one would be that evangelicals are white. Uh, and, you know, obviously uh, there are evangelicals who are non-white. But this is actually more complicated than it seems because the way that we use evangelical in American culture has come not to refer to the theological positions of evangelicalism and there are several different ways of evaluating whether or not a denomination or a person or a, a church is evangelical uh, so there's bevington's quadrilateral there's a kind of four-point rule that you can use that's used pretty frequently um, and then there are self-described uh, evangelicals and, and then there is you know just the sort of way that we use evangelical in politics and politics is primarily how we use the word. And and the way we use it is to refer to this particular political group of Christians who have mobilized uh, since the 70s and have uh, you know a very particular way of doing politics and a particular list of priorities. That's really what evangelical has come to mean in the United States. And those people are certainly majority white. Uh, however, if you want to take the theological meaning of evangelical, 
If you want to look at churches that focus on being born again, that focus on activism, evangelism in the world, uh, and so on and so forth, which is a completely valid way to uh, define evangelical, then that opens you up to, there are huge numbers of people of color who are evangelical. Evangelical forms of Christianity are increasingly popular in Latin America, which we'll get to, uh, in Mexico, uh, and and include black churches uh, by a lot of formulations. So I think it's worth thinking about what has evangelical come to mean? It seems to have two meanings that have basically separated from one another, one of which is theological and one of which refers to this political group. Number two, American Catholics are right-wing. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably widely believed uh, because Catholic activism on abortion is so prominent. Uh, but actually, if you look at the way they vote, American Catholics split right down the middle in terms of Republican versus Democratic. So about half of Catholics will vote Republican in any given national election, half will vote Democratic, uh, which is interesting because, you know, there are these issues where Catholics obviously tend to, you know, majority trend in one direction or the other. Uh, but nonetheless, there are countercurrents in Catholicism that pull Catholics away from the Republican Party, and that is the sort of Catholic labor tradition, uh, the, the prominence of the worker in Catholic social teaching. Uh, so a lot of Catholics will sort into voting for Democrats. Uh, so it typically goes about 50-50 or something like, you know, 45-55. Mm -hmm. uh, but you never really see in national elections a, a kind of landslide Catholic vote uh, on, on one side or the other. Well, it, it also seems to me that, you know, religious groupings, you know, there's obviously a um, ideological component to them, but also, you know, sort of cultural component to them. And, and the cultural component some sort of sometimes sort of feeds back into the oh, sure. ideological and component. So are split among more cultures than evangelicals, sure, yeah. for instance. And they're split among more cultures than mainline Protestants. Right. Uh, so, you know, you have um, Hispanic Catholics in America and then white Catholics. Mm -hmm. and Irish, have, Italians. Well, you do have a big class divide, right? There are some well-to-do Catholics, but traditionally Catholics in America have not been extremely rich. Um, and so there, there's also a, you know, significant working class Catholic. But then it seems like the Irish ones and the Italian ones, like they like to be cops. They do they, love to be cops. And then they kind of become right wing. Yeah. I mean, that you, you definitely, you get a little bit of that for sure. So, that. so seems like it feeds into to it. And then also, of course, because of the two party system, you can't quite reflect, you know, the uniqueness of what would be Catholic, you know, uh, thought, you know, yeah. uh, you know, because you got to sort of pick one or the other, even though their views maybe span both well, parties and, and, and there's so. a there's there's a, a lot of conversation in in catholicism about how the two-party system doesn't reflect our way of thinking so there's there's sort of no clear fit though i feel like even though ideologically it would be more of a like christian democratic party like you see more in like northern europe like that's where sort of ideologically it would sort at this point it's become so culturally you know, determine that even if you move to a multi-party system and you created a party like that, you'd still see a ton of Catholics who were like still voting Republican every time yeah. and st some sure. and those still voting Democratic every time, even though this would be the party that would seem to fit with like, you know, the the full 
the full slate. Oh, yeah. Of well, I mean, views. it's just it's just a much more fractured group than say evangelicals or Mormons or American Jews, uh, you know, or even mainline Protestants. It's just it's a much more fractured group in terms of who composes that Catholic identity. And there's another reason that right wing Catholics are more prominent than left wing Catholics. Uh, and and that is something that uh, leads me to our next myth. The next myth we've we've talked about before, but that is that there is a surging religious left on the rise, right? The religious left is coming, um, and and there's not uh, really no uh, no evidence suggests this. So when you look at younger generations, they're less religious than ever. Um, and so what seems to be going on is when people who are a part of congregations that become conservative or they themselves become more liberal, instead of forming an organized religious left, they tend to become nuns or nothings or, or kind of move out of religion altogether. Yeah, they just go into the, into the nunnery. Well, no, 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 no. N-O-N-E-S. withdraw entirely. No, 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 no. That, that, that into would, the monasteries. No, 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 nuns like a nun, no religion. Mm. None. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and that seems to have kind of depleted the ranks of young people in terms of who is even present as a religious person who could form a religious left on the rise. Uh, and, and the other issue in the reason that right-wing Catholics are more prominent politically uh, is that left religious people in the United States and, and left Christians in particular have always had trouble kind of organizing and becoming a political force. Uh, and that's, you know, unfortunate, I think. It has to do in part with funding, has to do in part with priorities. Uh, there are several reasons that that hasn't come to pass. Uh, but right-wing Catholics have teamed up with evangelicals to a significant degree. Mm, Rick Santorum. Rick Santorum's a great example of that. And and there are several people, uh, you know, in Republican politics who are kind of Catholic and Protestant. David Brott, for instance, called himself a like a Calvinist Catholic. Okay. Uh, and, and, and so I think that there are the, the intent there was to kind of satisfy a certain kind of right Protestant uh, way of doing politics and, and also a right Catholic way of doing politics. But uh, definitely American right Catholics have managed to activate and mobilize in a way that American left Catholics and all American left Christians have struggled to mirror in terms of funding, in terms of political efficacy, in terms of centering that part of their identity. Uh, so I don't think there's a religious left on the rise, and it, it has to do with the rise of the nuns and the nothings and the uh, atheist agnostics. Um, evangelicals are the most conservative. What number is this? This is number four. Okay, we're in four. Yeah, four. evangelicals are the most conservative Christians in the country. Mm-hmm. And this is not necessarily true. So they're the group that votes for Republicans at the highest numbers most reliably mm-hmm. in terms of American Christianity. But if you actually look at views on social issues, mm-hmm. issue polling, issue polling, Mormons are the most conservative Christians. Only on social issues? On, on, on social issues mainly, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but uh, also tend to be pretty pro-business yeah. and, and, uh, and free market. And uh, I mean, there is a contingent of left Mormons. I, I know several of them, uh, but they're, they're fighting an uphill battle. And, and so when you look at evangelicals, on the other hand, in terms of issue polling, they've actually 
become more liberal over time. So uh, even people who, you know, self-identify as white evangelical Protestants, uh, the, I think the share of them who approve of same-sex marriage has doubled since 2009 and mm-hmm. is maybe even more than doubled What's now. the number? What's the... Uh, 20%? It, it's something like 30 mm-hmm. I believe. Oh, well, that's pretty good. That's almost a third. Yeah. Let's see. Um, tap, 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 do, 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 yeah, twenty nine percent of evangelicals favor same sex marriage, which mm. is double the level it was in two thousand nine. And this is Pew data that was uh, collected this this summer in, in in June of this year. So, I mean, they're actually on the move in terms of uh, shifting views. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, you still see uh, higher rates of conservatism on a lot of those issues among Mormons. So uh, just a little bit of trivia there for you. Yeah, but there's so few Mormons. That, right. So, so that's the thing is that there are fewer of them. So their views, you know, aren't necessarily as impactful in terms of shaping GOP policy as evangelicals who are key in several states. Uh and the last myth, uh, number five, has to do uh, with something that probably none of our listeners believe, but is something that I see floating around and have always found it a little bit amusing. The suggestion that Catholics are soft on immigration. You know, Pope Francis has been very pro-immigrant, pro-refugee, for instance, and the bishops have admonished the Trump administration for how they're handling immigration because Catholics want to abort Latin Americans so they can raise the share of Catholics in the country. Mm-hmm. A lot of those immigrants who are coming from Latin America and the United States are Protestant. Uh, Actually, over the last uh, decade or so, Protestantism, especially forms of evangelical sort of charismatic Protestant worship like Pentecostalism, have exploded in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Those snakes. It's the snakes. You're thinking of snake handling, and there might be some of that going on. That's exciting. I mean, uh, if I were to I go mean, it's to a, show. a yeah, it's if a I show. were to go to a service and one had snakes and the other one didn't have snakes, I mean, well, I'm, I'm it's sure a there are several reasons that the Catholic Church has, has has you know lost membership in Latin America, and that the fact that some of these charismatic services are very entertaining and uh, you can kind of see a miracle in real time. Uh, it, it's know, hard to compete with that. It's hard to compete with that. And then part of it is, you know, the institutional abuses of the Catholic Church have, mm. have caused yeah. some, some real disillusionment. Uh, and, and they're certainly very widespread in Latin America. Uh, you know, so uh, there are lots of reasons, but uh, there, there is actually a slippage of the Catholic Church in, in Latin America. And also, once uh, immigrants come from Latin America to the United States, there's quite a bit of evidence that they end up uh, peeling off from the Catholic Church as well. Uh, you know, you get young people who are born to Hispanic parents in the United States and, and they, you know, themselves trend the way that young people born in the United States do generally, yeah. which is away from religion and towards uh, sort of nuns, nothings, mm. atheism and agnosticism. Uh, so Integration, assimilation. Right, right. That's just something that's going on with the younger generation here writ large and they're not an exception. So uh, it, it wouldn't be a, a, a sure thing, uh, you know, for Catholics. Uh, and I think that the reason that the Pope and so forth have been uh, pro-immigrant and pro-refugee is because that's just, you know, frankly, what Christianity uh, demands. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't make sense on its face because if Catholics are split 50-50, I mean, if you think about it from a political perspective... Like oh, like would that be the idea? It's like well, well we'll bring. They want Catholics here to put money in the collection plate, basically. Well, but then, uh, you know, but then there's also, 
you got to think about money per per capita. Yeah. Like you can't, if you're adding more people, especially people who are, you know, going to use services. Well, I mean, I think it's a bullshit theory, you but know, it's, it's one a, that here, I see. It's a losing proposition. It, it's a bullshit theory, but it's one I see floated. And, and there are several reasons that it's wrong. One is that it wouldn't be effective. And then when they'd be, they'd also be doing, maybe giving the money in South America as well. Right. I guess they could make more. Well, they're here. thinking about the American church, right? Yeah, oh. the American bishops and so forth. I see. But yeah. the Pope doesn't care if the money comes through. Right. The Pope would have no reason to mm-hmm. be. Because uh, he's, he's on top of it all. Especially invested. Right. But right. but the American bishops who go after the politicians and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but this is wrong. It's a myth. It's 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 a, it's a more of a conspiracy theory, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's weird, though, because the right wing likes to say that. But a lot of the right wing, like, uh, you know, talking heads that are like real anti-immigrant they're all catholic too you know what i mean several of them are hannity is hannity a catholic guy. And bill o'reilly I-, I believe ingraham yeah you know uh so i mean you know but but there there's also this tendency of right-wing catholics to uh seriously mistrust and malign the institutional catholic church because they feel like the liberals have been uh ascendant since vatican ii Mm-hmm. So it's not uncommon. I don't feel like Hannity is uh, up on church at that level. I doubt it. Obviously, they just don't like Latin Americans coming here because they think they're going to be Democrats, which is probably true at this point, though it didn't used to be the case necessarily. I remember when we were in Texas back in the day, there were a ton of Latino Republicans, even like elected in office. Like they were All just over the place. Everywhere. Now it seems like it's gone, you know. Guess if you run on racism, they kind of, kind of lose lose some. That's folks. a risk you run <laughs> when you when you decide to make your your platform being racist. I think the lieutenant governor was Latino, like it was a Latino Republican Under last Perry? time I was there. I want to say so. I don't know, but there were a ton of them in the in the house. Now it seems to have gone away. Yeah. Um. So it's the risk you run. Who knows? And then when Beto becomes the nominee, he was going to win Texas with the Latino vote and then he'll be president and he'll be our first Latino president. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We will be back with you next week. All right. Bye-bye.